The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Some life events magically are intertwined, leading to pathways that couldn't have been imagined. The proverbial door that opens as a window closes. So imagine the heartache of a child who loses a father at age eight, an enormous bend in a young road. The boy loved cars so much, all he wanted to do was spend time at the neighborhood raceway, wandering the garages all day. Without a father to take him to the track, it wouldn't be that simple. Yet the determination of a mother to give her son a bit of joy and experience had her dropping her son off at the racetrack on weekends. And just off California Highway 68, near the famous Laguna Seca Raceway, young Gordon McCall was allowed to walk into the track, spend time in the garages, as long as he was back by the road, by 5 p.m. It was a year after Gordon's father passed away, and the nine-year-old's life was never the same, for both good and bad. Young Gordon may have lost a dad, but he found cars and motorcycles, including the bike he hid in a friend's garage as a teenager, because that same mother didn't want him riding motorcycles. But Gordon loved all things that moved. Eventually, he found his way to a local Ferrari store, where he swept the floor as a teenager, then turned his attention to car restoration, before landing as a specialist at Christie's International, and eventually his role as a judge at the Pebble Beach Concorde d'Elegance. It's also what led him to a life immersed in the car business, as well as a world in which he would become known as the ultimate event planner in the car culture world. That was highlighted by the organization of the famous McCall's Motorworks Revival event at the Monterey Jet Center each August on the Wednesday preceding Pebble Beach. As well, of course, as the famous and hottest ticket in town, the Quail event two days later in Carmel Valley. For the last 19 years, the quail has become a Carmel crown jewel, tucked on a golf course against the Santa Lucia mountain range with exceptional cuisine and the finest cars, drawing motorsports enthusiasts and collectors from around the world to see rare collections on the rolling greens of Quail Lodge. Throughout a lifetime of passion and devotion, he's built amazing relationships around the world and fueled an energy for cars and collecting that is unparalleled. Even after his subsequent sale to Haggerty last year, Gordon McCall maintains a connection to the industry that is unique and full of class. He's an enthusiast, a collector, a man of culture and cars. As the world gets ready for a more normal car week in Monterey this month, Gordon McCall is my guest today on Cars and Culture. Hi, I'm Gordon McCall and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. Well, we can't have a conversation about cars or culture without having Gordon McCall in the program. <laughs> you are the epitome of both. Gordon, it is great to be with you again. How are you? I'm doing great, Jason. Thank you. And, uh, and, and likewise, what a, what a treat. It's been a while since we've spoken and it's great to see you. Great to see you. It's great to be with you. And I want to start off with the cultural element of the cars and culture part of the program. And that is to say that you just have returned from one of the more iconic cultural events globally. Tell me about Goodwood in 2022. How good was Goodwood? Oh my gosh. It was, it should be called Great Wood. Great Wood. <laughs> yeah. You know, Jason, it's, uh, it's one of those things. It, it really is the high watermark in terms of celebrating all things, automotive, motorcycle, lifestyle, everything associated with it. Uh, the Duke of Richmond puts on the most amazing show twice a year with the Festival of Speed, which just wrapped up last weekend. And then in the fall, he's got the revival, which is uh, in period costume, et cetera. It's incredible who comes to that event. You know, it's uh, it's 200,000 spectators mm. and virtually everybody and anybody who's in the automotive world, um, you know, primarily in the racing scene, but also on the design side as well. And to your cultural point, it, it just it just epitomizes that it's it's being lived and briefed <laughs> yes. right in front of you. You know, um, dinner at the Goodwood House is um, surreal. Um, you know, he has a, a 200 person kind of an intimate, for lack of a better word, in the house sit down dinner on on the Friday night, followed up by 1600 
on Saturday night with entertainment, et cetera. And you just run into people that you've read about your entire life, mm. you know, that type of thing. It's a, uh, it's a must do. And, you know, so many things have been kind of geared around what, what the Duke of Richmond has established there. You know, you'll hear in the spirit of Goodwood, you know, you hear that often. It's impossible to not be inspired by what he's created there. It's, it's incredible. Really. Why is. does it work the way that it does, Gordon? Well, you know, I think authenticity, genuineness, uh, and a 12,000 acre estate that was built in the 1600s, I, I don't think that hurts. Um, you know, just the history of the property, you know, between the motor circuit, the hill climb, which I believe was established in 1936, just prior to World War II. Um, you know, it was an active, uh, it's where they flew Spitfires off of for, uh, for World War II. The history is there it's it's real you don't have to look for it you don't have to imagine it that was there you can see it it's it's just right there and i think that that has a lot to do with uh you know they always talk about the ambiance of the room well this is the ambiance of the estate it's uh it's steeped in history not to mention the rolls royce factory that's there now you know and the return really for for everybody now in in, in this year in almost a post covid type of atmosphere as well we and, and i know that you dealt with this as well during the last couple of years but the car world really missed each other didn't it during the course of those last two years not just the events but the but the people the stories the personalities yeah was was the missing factor you know jason you're absolutely right um i've always contended that the car world i also equate this to vintage motorcycles as well uh, of which I'm very involved in also, but I've always viewed that uh, neither one of these passions are enjoyed in a vacuum. They just aren't, you know, it's, it's no fun just to go into your garage and tinker on your stuff. And that's it. You know, that's, that's typically not yeah. why any of us are into this. We're, we're all into this because of the people that, you know, we have the pleasure of being in contact with through our passions. Uh, and, you know, it seems like the cars are almost the unintended consequence of it all. Um, and so getting together, I think, has rejuvenated a lot of spirits. It's really lifted a lot of people. And, you know, I personally, I've never been with that many people, you know, in the last couple of years. It was literally 50,000 people a day. And, you know, people were people that were needing to be cautious were cautious and, and people that felt comfortable were comfortable. And, you know, we're back is kind of that's the feeling that I certainly had. Um, with a nice well, back, yeah, back indeed. And you're back as well. And, you know, the quail will be full force this year. Yep. How much can you draw from Goodwood and borrow from Goodwood to apply to what you do in August in Monterey? Well, you know, I suppose we're all inspired by things. You know, um, I've been a photographer my whole life and I'm, I'm, I always kind of view things through somewhat of a photographer's eye. Um, I, I need to back up just quickly to say that, yes, okay, I'm the, the referred to as the co-founder of the Quail Show and, and all of that, which is now 19 years old. Um, but really what makes that show what it is, is the Peninsula Signature Events Department at, uh, at the Quail Lodge and Golf Club. You know, there's a full-time office staff run by Courtney Ferrandi. That's what they do year round. You know, I'm, I'm kind of that car guy that gets to go in once a week for, you know, four hour meetings and talk about various displays, cars, entrance, et cetera. But they're the ones that do the heavy lifting to make that show what it is. So I always like to kind of preface whatever sure. I say about that. But 19 years ago, when I came up with this idea of an all-inclusive ticket where everyone is treated as a VIP and we take the pressure of the judging off the table, you know, that came a lot from my 28 straight years that I was with the Pebble Beach Concord, which I have nothing but the utmost respect for. Uh, but I did start to see things changing in that show world um, in a way that uh, it, it affected me. You know, I, when I look at cars and tinker on cars, Jason, I think of them as being just nothing but a pleasure. It's, you know, we, we, we don't have to be doing any of this stuff with these vintage cars, right? This is, right. it should be fun. And I'm not saying that concours aren't fun, but there is a certain level of stress. And I started witnessing, I was almost starting to feel it, you know, as a judge at Pebble, it was like, wow, these people are really stressing out <laughs> over, over <laughs> what's going on here with the guys in the blue blazers and the straw hats telling them what's wrong with their cars. And, and I just thought, oh gosh, you know, I think there might be something that we can do that complements this. It's not certainly an instead of that was never my intention and that's not what it is. Um, but just the idea of maybe looking at the um, lifestyle element a little a little bit closer. 
So that the cars are, yes, very important, but what's equally or perhaps more important are, are all those personal relationships and interactions. And that's really what defines the quail. You know, there's, it's about the people, you know, it's about the hospitality. It's about the fact that everybody's a VIP and you don't have to worry about what kind of wristband you have on, you know, um, and it's worked, you know, uh, thankfully to the huge effort of, of the Peninsula Signature Events Department. It, 19 years later, no one else is really doing it like that still. Yeah, you've cornered the market on on all of that. And you've cornered the market on the stories that are told during that day as well. And you've said before, it's the stories and the people behind them that make it interesting, not necessarily just the cars. We all love the cars. Of course. But, and the story that, that, that you and the team create around that day, you said it. You're viewed as the benchmark event to Car Week. Which Pretty is incredible. Not- which is really interesting. There's certainly, there's a lot for people to do. You know, um, I take great pride, Jason. I'm, I'm, I'm from here. I've, I've lived here. My wife and I are both, we, we've lived here our entire lives. And it's, it's really gratifying to have a, have a hand in, in, you know, these events that people come from all over the world to. Monterey Peninsula is a pretty magical place. Um, doesn't hurt to have a world-class racetrack and, you know, the, the, the beauty of the coastline and uh, facilities such as the Quail Lodge and Golf Club, you know, right. it, it's, it's not, a bad, not a bad place to be doing these things, that's for sure. It's kind of like the Duke of Richmond's property. I mean, <laughs> right? You've got your own Duke of Richmond. Yeah, in a way, in a way we do. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You mentioned it. You're, you're a, a teenager from the area uh, who hid his motorcycle in a, in a friend's garage you know, because you didn't want anybody to know, oh, your parents possibly to know. And as a high school student, you swept the floors of a local Ferrari dealership. Yeah. Pretty incredible stuff. Did you ever think you'd end up where we are today? I had no clue. You know, I, I just I knew what I loved. You know, I I was good enough in school. I think this was a this is an every man's story here. There's so much of so many of us went through this exact same thing. You know, I, I had to get good grades in order to play sports. So. I don't want to say I wasn't learning anything at the time, but I, my goal was to get the good grade so I could continue to play baseball. But right. then I got immediately distracted when I bought my first motorcycle at 14. And uh, my life changed with that motorcycle. It really did. And that dumb little bike, as you said, I did hide it from my mom. It was an unauthorized purchase and all the rest of that. But then again, that's a common story. This is nothing new. Yeah, we've heard this before from people on this program. <laughs> I'm sure you have. And Including Bruce Meyer. There you go. Yeah, um, there is that common thread that, that tends to weave us all together. But, you know, it's funny, Jason, that motorcycle really taught me everything that I needed to know in life. You know, it, it taught me how to kind of bend the rules, but without uh, any, um, uh, you know, collateral damage from it. You know, I, right. I wasn't hurting anybody. Right. I was I was a little bit you know taller than most for my age. So if I wore a dark shield, I could ride this motorcycle around, but I couldn't get in trouble. If I got in trouble, it was over. You know, the gig was over. I also had to learn how to work on stuff. And so, you know, that led me to literally they'd have to kick me out of the Ferrari dealership. I'd take the bus over to the Monterey Ferrari dealer and just clean up. I mean, there isn't a shop around that will kick somebody out that's cleaning up the mess. (laughs) That led to, you know, essentially a career in the in the car world. And I, I had no idea. I just knew I was surrounding myself with stuff I was really interested in. And I, I just, I hope that that's something that, you know, young folks are still interested in doing, you know. Um, I had a funny conversation, it's a bit of a tangent, but uh, one of the people that I met uh, at uh, at Goodwood this last week was this guy named Tony Fidel. And Tony is credited- Oh, former uh, Apple- um, Exactly, yeah, Tony- you know, iPod. Co- co- he's the creator of the iPod and our iPad and uh, co-creator of the iPhone. And he was, you know, really nice guy. And uh, anyway, so we were chatting up in the Duke's house. And he said uh, something like, can you imagine what life would have been like during the shutdown if we didn't have the iPhone? We were talking about anniversaries and apparently the iPhone is 15 years old now. Right. It's kind of remarkable, right? And I, I looked at him and I said, yeah, gosh, can you imagine, Tony, kids going outside, playing in the trees and the dirt, getting their <laughs> shin skinned up? And, and I thought, oh, I think I may have said the wrong thing. But you know, he laughed and then he paused and he goes, you know what? He goes, I just did an article about how I hope things can switch back the other way. And I'm just, what I'm, the way I'm tying this together is I, I, I hope kids never 
as important as these devices are, I hope they never lose that interest in wanting to learn how things work and how to fix things with your hands, you know, and meet people that make things that, you know, not just virtually, you know, well said. I'm glad those distractions weren't there for me back then because I, I probably would have been all over the devices, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that was my future, future guest on this program. Tony Hawk uh, apparently yeah. is building skateboard parks around the country because his read is that 13% of uh, children play outside these days. That's 13%. <laughs> yeah. So wouldn't you say growing up, it was 13% stayed inside? Yeah. Maybe you, that many? <laughs> yeah. And, and 90 and, and 87% dreamt about cars and wanting to work on cars and, and wanting, and wanting to drive their first car. Yeah. So true. So true. Couldn't, couldn't get me out of the house fast enough and to the DMV to my first car, you know, and I 1969 BMW 2002 was yours. Yeah, so uh, actually, my first car was a 510 Datsun. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I had a 510 Datsun, which uh, had everything to do with Peter Brock and his dominant BRE uh, race team with John Morton behind the wheel. Um, I was a volunteer out at Laguna Seca Raceway, and I was pumping fuel uh, into race cars, and the 2.5 Challenge was taking place in the Trans Am, uh, which I interestingly now run a 2.5 Trans Am 510. But uh, Pete's whole presence just just blew me away. And uh, I ended up, uh, you know, we're friends now, and that's kind of surreal. I mean, there's a lot of Walter Mitty stuff that takes place in this car world, Jason. <laughs> there it's is. Really crazy who you end up crossing paths with. And, you know, or they're all just people. You know, that's the thing that's I find so interesting about, you know, these icons uh, in in the business is they're all just people, you know. Is it true you learned to drive maybe on that BMW? I did. I did. Yes. I learned how to drive on. Yeah, I had a stepfather with a 69 2002. I think it was one of the first 2002s on the Monterey Peninsula. And uh, yeah, I learned how to drive on that car. So, yeah, you're absolutely right with that fact. Yep. You've no, done some and- homework here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to get to know our guests a little bit. <laughs> so so speaking of how in the world, and, and I mean, tell us a little bit about about the pathway to getting where you are today. Um, when When we go from that Ferrari shop floor, how do we end up where we are now? I, you know, I, I, I believe me, I wish I could just say, well, it's because I had this master plan and this is, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it, the best way for me to describe it is I just continued to follow my passion. You know, I learned a lot about business. I had a lot of really, you know, it's funny, I, being an athlete my whole life, I've, I've learned the lesson early about how important it is to whatever it is you're into, put yourself in a, in a situation where the people around you are better than you are. You know, you you will learn to be a better player. I don't care what the sport is if you're playing with people that are better than you. And the same can be said in the business arena. And I just felt very fortunate to be around people that were, you know, highly motivated, highly successful people. And I learned a lot from them. And I just kept kind of swinging from branch to branch, you know, just finding finding things that were of interest to me. And, uh, you know, I have to admit having having a very supportive wife at home. Molly has been, you know, my, my, my most incredible uh, experience in my life is the support. Uh, and that's important, I think, is, uh, you know, growing up, I didn't get a lot of that from my parents, for instance, you know, they my father died when I was very young. So, um, you know, I wasn't getting pushed at home and, uh, you know, as a kid, but to be an adult and have a supportive better half. Um, Molly's just been amazing. Just encouraging me. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. You know, there's no limitations here. Just, you know, go, just keep, just keep going. And that's really helped me a lot. Really has. Most of your fellow car guys got their interest from their father. And as you just mentioned, you were just eight when he passed away in 1965. But interestingly, full credit to your mother, the following year, she starts dropping you off on Highway 68 near this little place called Laguna Seca Raceway. Yeah. And uh, you weren't allowed to walk in and visit the track, uh, or, or you were allowed, as long as you were back by 5 o'clock. So yeah. now all of a sudden, you're, you're getting, I mean, full credit to your mother for agreeing yeah. to do that, first of all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah. you're hanging around the track all the time, right? Well, and full credit to that time in our life where a parent could do that with their kid. Can you imagine so doing true. that today? 
you know, yeah, just trek up the hill, up and over. There's only 40,000 people in there watching a Can-Am race, but uh, just be back here. <laughs> just be back here at dark. Right. Uh, you know, so that was that was something that I, I appreciate her courage as well as her trust for knowing that, uh, you know, I was I was never one to want to disappoint my mom. So I was always on time. And uh, but, you know, what I learned during that period and then, you know, here it is just surreal. I'm on the Laguna Seca Raceway Foundation board. You know, it's again, a lot of things just come full circle. And that's certainly another part of my life that has. Let's go back to the quail for a moment. You mentioned 19 years. Yeah. And this is an experience for guests that goes just beyond looking at vehicles. I mean, you you have themes that are already set for this year. It'll be the 50th anniversary of BMW's M division. You'll do all things Mini Cooper. Yep. 70 years of Jaguar and their wins at Le Mans. And then we get into some really interesting stuff. And this is where I want to focus on the Quail being very different than a lot of other sure. concours or shows that, that exist around the country. You have pre-war sports and racing. You have post-war sports. You have the evolution of the supercar and the times that I've been there, the great Ferraris that are there. And of course, the show is more than just about a, you know, a Ferrari GTO as an example, right? right. but also the custom coach work. I mean, you there's so much interesting and unique models that exist on the field that I don't, I don't know that I, that there's another place that I've been, Gordon, that would have the same kind of eclectic uh, collection. It's, it's almost like, it's like walking into your own personal garage, which we will talk about or the garage of, a of, um, of a Bruce Meyer or a right. Rick Hendrick or, um, you know, any of those folks, the, the best from all different eras. Tell me about the philosophy around that. It's really simple and eclectic. The word you just used is really the definitive word of, of, of what you'll see at that show. And it's been like that, uh, for me since day one, for some reason, Jason, I have never had a problem viewing uh, things through everyone's eyes. You know, there's a lot of car guys will get somewhat um, cornered into what their interest is. You're a Porsche guy or you're a Ferrari guy or a Chevy guy or whatever it might be. Right. Uh, I certainly have my own personal interests, but I appreciate, you know, the whole gamut, the whole I think it's really cool to see people just get incredibly excited about things like custom coach work cars. You know, they may not be your cup of tea, but you look at, you know, you look at some of these things. I know Rick Dorr has brought cars to us over the years. You look at some of that handcrafted stuff and you think, you know, this car is ever as much as interesting as a GTO Ferrari. And if you talk to the guy that built it, he's actually a little bit closer to the car than the guy that wrote the check for the, no disrespect for the GTO, right. <laughs> you know, and and that, to me, that's what makes the event interesting is those stories behind these people. Um, you know, we had a, I, it was really funny. We had a Triumph Spitfire there one year, and I was kind of mocked a little bit by some friends for what is a Spitfire doing at the Quail, right? It was really the story. It was a, a, owned by an Air Force uh, serviceman. It was his father's car. His father had passed away. He'd restored the car to absolute perfection. I mean, it was a 100-point Spitfire, if there's such a thing, if you can imagine, right? No disrespect right. to Spitfires, but it's not the first car you think of when you think of 100 points, right? <laughs> uh, story behind that car. I thought this guy, his love for that car and the connection that that car means to him in regard in relationship to his father, that's priceless in my book. And he, there he is on our show field telling that story and sharing that car with, you know, anyone that has an interest in it. And he was getting asked questions all day long. And I thought, that's what it's all about. It's about diversity. And, and you know, it's it's not just big, heavy duty, valuable cars. You know, we all know what those are and they'll be there. But I think it's fun to balance it out with whimsical stories. I mean, the all things mini. I mean, that's just that's just light, lighthearted. But then you look at the Mini Cooper, they weren't so lighthearted. I mean, they won the Monaco rally, you know, they, right, right. You know, impressive, impressive weapons. But yet people look at them and they smile like the year we had the Volkswagen buses on our road activation. You know, I think we had about 10 significant. I mean, really early, really rare. The kind of thing you don't expect to see during car week. That's what we love bringing to the table at the Quail is to see something you just didn't expect to see that in August in Monterey. Well, and isn't it interesting too? I've seen through the years the uh, opportunity for automakers to launch vehicles <laughs> at the Quail. I mean, yeah. that newly launched vehicles or or a first time launch appears yeah. at a car show. I mean, traditionally those would have been reserved for 
the uh, Genevas, the Detroits, the New Yorks. And now all of a sudden I might see something that I've never seen before, brand new. And yet in the middle of the field, you'll have, um, I know, a, a vehicle near and dear to your heart, but a Datsun. Yeah. You know, and 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 that is that that mix. It is yeah. old. It is new. It's traditional. It's classic. It's it's all of that wrapped in one. You know, Jason, I think and you're absolutely spot on. And I think what we've done over the years um, is we've we've brought essentially a, a new platform for these OEMs. You know, like you said, it was traditionally it was to the press at, um, you know, specific industry events. Right. And I wouldn't consider Monterey Car Week necessarily an industry event. I mean, it, there's certainly elements of it that are. Yeah, it's become that. But it's an end user. You know, it's it's a you know, it's a lot of end users, a lot of you know, a lot of everybody's best customers. You know, the hundred thousand or so people that flock to the Monterey Peninsula are everybody's best customer. And so what we've done is managed to provide this platform. So not only are these cars being launched through the media outlets, which all the important ones are there, but there's also people there that are gonna buy what they see. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They're gonna write the check. They're gonna write the check. And and that's important. And if you can actually streamline that process of they don't even have to read the story about it because they just heard about it from the CEO of the company that was on the platform identifying this new car. You know, it all started that whole maneuver or movement uh started back when was this? When the Panamera was launched. A uh, good yeah. friend of Trevor Bleedorn at the time was running the doing the PR in the States for Porsche and our, uh, our good friend at Auto Week, Mark Vaughn uh, had, had come up with a nickname for, for the Panamera before anybody had even seen it. I think there are a few press cars out and the car was being nicknamed the Butster before anybody saw it. <laughs> Not exactly what the manufacturer was hoping for, I'm sure, but you know, everybody had- Chris Bangle can relate. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And not everybody, uh, you know, uh, no one has forgotten the 928, you know, and, and right. that launch is like, oh, my God, all the air-cooled people are going nuts right now. Well, all of a sudden, now there's a four-door 911. It's like, wait a minute. This is definitely the answer to the question no one has asked. Well, I expl- <laughs> I mentioned to Trevor, I said, you know, you guys, I, I'm a Porsche guy. I've had 911 since I was 19 years old. Um, I love the brand, uh, but you guys are having problems with this car. Got this crazy idea. Um, you really can't take in the aesthetic effects of that car when you're driving it. <laughs> so, right. so let's try and figure out a way to get people in these cars. You know, um, is, is there a way you could get some pre-production prototypes out to Monterey? We've got this farm field. We could build out a, vent, a Zentrum Center, you know, send some wheels and tires. I'll come up with a route. You could use various events throughout the peninsula as a way to book test drives. And they went for it. I was kind of surprised. And lo and behold, you can't even get in the cars because there's so many people interested. Well, yeah. And so what happened, and I love these, I love these numbers. So they booked 1,100. So they had 41 cars delivered. Pre-production, no VIN number, uh, you know, whatever you call it. They're not prototypes, but they're, they're going to get crushed eventually. They're press cars, right? So they send them out. They sent out a crew of mechanics to change brake pads and tires. Um, they, they set up for the entire week. They booked 1,100 test drives and they sold 236 of those cars. It changed <laughs> everything. Then the, that word experiential marketing was discovered. And I'm not taking credit for this because it was a true collaboration. But that <laughs> didn't exist before we did that at Quail. It really didn't. And so now every OEM, they all they want to do is drives. You know, it's like get the people behind the wheel. Doesn't matter what the car is, get them, let them drive it. You know, That's, compared to previous car shows where you couldn't even open the door. You couldn't even open vehicles. You had, to, you had to, you know, pry your way past the Las Vegas showgirl to get to the car. Right. And, and now <laughs> it's, all they want to do is, you know, they everybody wants to send cars to events, you know. Um, hey, can you line up some VVIPs for us? We'd like them to use our cars. It's a different way of selling cars now, that's for sure. But we, you know, we did that years ago at the Quail. It was pretty cool. Wow, groundbreaking. Yep. And let me let me give you full credit here because last November a a little known uh, fact was announced, which I know you know, and that is that the Quail Motorsports Gathering won the 2021 Concour of the Year Award at uh, the Historic Motoring Awards, which was at the Rosewood Hotel in London, England. Yeah. And that had to have been a bit of a crowning moment for you as well. I mean, especially during 
you know, post pandemic, things of that nature? You know, um, yeah, I have to admit when I, when I learned of the news, I just, I had that personal moment of, wow, you know, that's, that's really neat. But I, I have to say, and this isn't patronizing whatsoever, just super proud of, of the team, you know, the, the Peninsula Signature Events team, the Peninsula Hotels buy-in of, you know, it's their event, they own it. Um, you know, I may have created it, but it's, it's because of them that that show is what it is today. And I'm just super proud and happy for them. There's a lot of hard work that takes place, um, behind the scenes, you know, um, and it's, 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 it's an amazing thing. It really is. I have to admit that was, that was a crowning moment for sure. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with auto industry icon, Gordon McCall. And to see my interview with Gordon, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 50 episodes. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world. In America, the rich history of car culture runs deep. As technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars. From industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. And now the continuation of my conversation with auto industry icon, Gordon McCall. And to see my interview with Gordon, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 50 episodes. Tell me a little bit, uh, some other news over the course of the last uh, last year or so, or certainly since I saw you last. Tell me about the impact of Haggerty and the ownership that has taken place and what that means for you, for the things that you do. Well, McKeel Haggerty is a very, very dear friend, and he has been for years. So for 30 years, my wife Molly and I have produced an event at the Monterey Jet Center, referred to as McCall's Motorworks Revival. And, you know, it's funny, Jason, we, we the last couple of years, um, it's a very personal thing. You know, we innovated. I didn't realize this at the time. You know, it's funny you ask, where did all this stuff start and everything? I, I can't put my finger on it. I just do these things, right? Well, I didn't realize that 30 years ago, we had innovated this concept of, of bringing aviation and automotive interests together. Um, you know, I figured out back then that it's, we're, we're talking about the same person. You know, the demographics are, they're, they're spot on. People that are into vintage cars are into airplanes and it's, it's one degree of separation. So here we create this event that turns out to be the kickoff event. You know, we're, we're hosting 3,000 people every year. And the Wednesday night of Car Week. Wednesday yeah. night of Car Week. And what ended up happening just the last couple of years, my, so my wife and I, we don't have kids. And I don't have a succession plan in terms of, you know, a son or a daughter that I can hand the keys to and say, okay, guys, it's, it's your turn now. And so we started talking about, what you know, what can we do with this event? Well, as most people in the car world are aware of now, uh, Haggerty has gone public. Um, they'd been buying events. They bought Amelia Island. They bought Greenwich Concours. They bought the California Miele, uh, Concours of Americas. Um, so uh, they came to us with uh, with some ideas, and it fit. And you know, it 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 needed to. We've had offers in the past from from people that did not fit. Very tempting, you know, in terms of exit strategies. Very tempting, but. That name had our event on it, or, or that event had our name on it for 30 years, and there's a lot of pride involved in that. And the idea of trusting its uh, future to someone, it, it really needed to be the right fit, and there is no better fit than, than Haggerty. Um, they've hired us back, so we're consulting with them uh, in terms of this transition. They've changed the name to Motorlux now. Um, they've added an auction, which I did in the early 2000s. I used to run Christie's, the car department for Christie's, so I used to have an auction in conjunction with our Wednesday night event, we had a Thursday night sale. Well, they're going back to that. They've got broad arrow auctions of which they're a partner in. And uh, it's exciting. You know, it's exciting. And for us, it's like, oh, I can I can take a deep breath now. Um, you know, when I think about it, uh, neither my wife or I have had a summer to speak of for like the past 45 years. <laughs> wow. I got wow. I got involved at Pebble when I was a junior at Carmel High School, and it's been every summer has been a commitment, which I still obviously have with Quail and will remain. But it's the pressure of producing the Jet Center is off of our shoulders, and mm -hmm. you know, we're there to help support them uh, to succeed moving forward. So we're thrilled. We're absolutely thrilled. 
Well, congratulations again. Thank you. And that can't that can't always be said. I have to back up on that. It doesn't always work out. You know, you hear and it's usually with what people won't say after the fact. But um, just in, in full transparency, we're just absolutely comfortable and confident with the direction that they're taking things. Well, speaking of jets, we can hear jets in the background of where you're, yeah, where you're yeah, seated yeah. today. Planes <laughs> that decided to come in. Sorry about that. No, no problem at all. Well, let me ask you generally: uh, car shows, maybe maybe on a on a on a global uh, basis, and also I would say um, the kinds of shows that occur during Car Week. Wh- where do they fit into the culture of of the automotive world today? You know, I think I think this one on one experience that we were talking about earlier, I think interacting with fellow enthusiasts, um, you know, it's one thing to uh, read about, uh, you know, a particular car thing, entity event. It's another thing to experience it, uh, especially with friends and colleagues, et cetera. And there's something about that hands on process that I think makes car shows extremely relevant. You know, I've I find for myself just personally, when I go to a show, which obviously I just did at Goodwood. Uh, I love seeing things that I didn't know existed. And that doesn't happen. I mean, I suppose it can on the internet. If you spend enough time searching, you're going to find stuff you didn't know existed. But, uh, you know, it's one thing to discover that, but it's another thing to talk to the people behind it and learn. I mean, it's a constant state of learning. And I find shows tend to do that. You know, they inspire you to dig deeper, you know. Um, Are you saddened by the fact that some car shows that, and I, I'm thinking of Detroit here as an example, or or Geneva. You know, there yeah. hasn't been a Geneva auto show no. since March of 19, yeah. unbelievably. And it was a, it's always been a staple in the calendar, whether it was an industry event or whether it was partially public. I mean, it was both. Yeah. But are you saddened with what's happened? And 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 I and I would argue that there's been some confusion in terms of what a car show needs to be. Not yours. Not not what not what happens during Car Week, but in other car shows in general. What's your point of view? Well, so I think getting back to the Internet, I think I think a lot of things have changed. I mean, look at look at what's happening with the way people are going to be buying new cars, you know, shortly. I mean, it's it seems like inventory is this whole business of of car lots not having any cars. You know, I think people are going to be ordering their cars soon over the Internet. And the the idea of going to a car dealer and picking one of 600 cars in stock those days, you know what it is, Jason? It's just change is is really what it comes down to. It's just things are changing. And, you know, do we miss things like Geneva? Of course. Um, But there was a time when Geneva didn't exist, you know, when that show didn't exist. And so I think it's it's just evolution. It's change. I think people's tastes uh, and interests do change. Uh, things that work seem to continue to, to work. Um, there's always something new. Um, you know, that's that to me is intriguing that there is always something that pops up. Um, I think that's one of the things that I gravitate towards uh, the, the vintage motorcycle world. Uh, you know, the vintage motorcycle world reminds me of the vintage car world of about 30 years ago, where people didn't talk about how much stuff was worth. <laughs> you know, that's that's usually the last thing in the conversation. Right. You know, um, but I think uh, you know auctions. I mean, look what happened. Look what happened in the auction world during the COVID shutdown. You know, people thought it was the end of the world, right? Instead, car sales went through the roof, and they're still going through the roof. People are buying well, cars. And Car Week should be one of the biggest auction weeks yeah. on record coming up. Yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at Randy Nonenberg and bring a trailer. I mean, it, you know, so when people couldn't travel and, and you know, pe- there were a lot of people suffering and struggling and still are um, without a doubt. But at the same time, there's a lot of people that are doing really well <laughs> through, through these times. Right. Yeah. When you can't travel, when you can't go anywhere, when you can't do anything, but you can sit on your computer and you can buy a car or two or three. There's people doing that. I mean, they sell 50 cars a day. Yeah, well, we've had Randy on the program, a fascinating individual as well. Oh, yeah. At a time when they've seen a meteoric rise. Yeah, I agree. So, you know, as far as how it makes me feel that things like Geneva aren't around, certainly I'm saddened by it, but there's going to be other things. There always there always will be. You know, there's always innovators out there, always. Well, speaking of innovation and COVID, you used COVID to do something that I think you really wanted to do for for a long time. And and this is a trend that's going around the country, mm. which is this sort of these these um well what would you call them they're 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 not man caves because that doesn't sound very appropriate <laughs> i don't like the term at all gordon i'm glad you said that yeah 
but it is a place for you to store your car and to create a, a, a wonderful space um, around all of the things that are that are car related. And you've done that right near where you're or right where you're sitting now. Yeah. Yeah. Tell no, me a little bit about the development that you did. Well, you know, I, so I, I got involved with a, with a handful of partners, some really great guys, really good friends. Um, we've been after this for, for quite some time. There was a, a prime piece of property that happened to be owned by a family that I went to school with here in town. Uh, it was just a wonderful piece of property, seven acres that was on the market for a long, long, long time. And usually there's a reason why, you know, it's usually either a toxic waste dump or uh, it's overpriced, right? So a <laughs> magic word came to effect, which was divorce. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, well now this makes sense. So anyway, we jumped on the property and we came up with this idea. Like you said, Jason's very popular, these quote car condos, um, the whole man cave thing. I, that word she shed and man cave, I just, it just, I don't know. I hate that image of, yep. uh, uh, right. But the idea of a car condo, I mean, that's kind of another, but it is technically they are car condo. I like that a car yeah. condo. So, yeah, so there's spaces that you own and, you know, um, I don't have anything to sell because we're sold out. So this is not a salesman talking right now. Um, the idea that you can own your own space, put it in your, you know, put it on the plus side of your asset sheet. Uh, you can, there's huge tax advantages to that versus paying someone else's mortgage in commercial rent, right? So the thing that got us, we were about 40 or 50% committed when the shutdown hit. We've got 90,000 square feet, four separate buildings, different size units. So here we were about halfway committed and then the shutdown hits and we're like, okay guys, um, we need to keep some powder dry because we have no idea what the future holds, like anybody, right? When things got sketchy. Yep. What happened with us, thankfully, is it just, it, it skyrocketed the other way. People were able to work from home. So the reality is, and I'll just use one of our owners as an example without mentioning names, but one of the vice presidents at Facebook, who's got a second home in the Monterey Peninsula, these people are bailing out of the San Francisco area like crazy. They just, the big cities were just emptying. Great migration, right? So they're coming to places like Monterey where they can own a beautiful home and, you know, be outdoors and have some space around them. And it's, it's not the city life. Well, they want, they still work, but do they want to work at home where the kids and the dogs and the distractions aren't? No. They'd like a, a space where they can have a professional presence, do their video conferencing and maybe a place to keep their cars and stuff, you know, and that's exactly what happened with us. And so we've got multiple CEOs of major companies that bought units from us. Um, what is really the most fun underlying aspect of all of this is this community, this ecosystem that we have here now. Everybody kind of minds their own business, but we've also got, you know, world champions here. We've got, you know, everybody's doing their own thing. But we're we're all in. We're not under one roof. To, I mean, we're under one roof technically. But everybody's got their own space, and the fact that you can own it and write it off. Um, I'd love to be able to do it again, but with what's going on <laughs> right now, I think we're gonna we're gonna be content with what we've got. So it's worked out real well. Incredible. And I mean, we've as I you know mentioned earlier, I've I've seen this phenomenon pop up across the country. What's going on in Palm Springs? Oh yeah, as an example, and very exclusive. Yeah, car condos that are owned and exclusive access and yeah. taking uh, specialty cars around tracks like that. It's it is um, yeah. it is really something else, truly something else that, that had not been conceived until now. Well, it is. And, you know, one of the things I opted out of, because you'll find most of those spaces such as thermal you're referring to and some of these other places, they have a lot of common area space for people to have, you know, conference rooms and, you know, you can have little events, whatever. I, I opted out of that here. I just kind of come from that school of just the people that I know. And I granted, I have to say, I've brought most of my friends to the table here. Um, they belong to the clubs they want to belong to. They're not looking for another club to, you know, they don't, I didn't want to put something on uh, the space you'd end up paying for and not using, which is often the case. And so we just kept it where, Hey, just buy the amount of space that suits your needs and go from there. So it's been, it's been real good. I'm really, really grateful for it. Well, wonderful. You mentioned owning the 911 at 19 years old. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you have in your own personal fleet. I mean, this show is about not only culture here, Gordon, okay. but also cars. A couple of car stories. Well, so uh, I'm all over the board when it comes to, okay. I, I just am. You know, like I said, I've been a Porsche guy. I had an Irish green 911S when I was 19 and um, I'd actually sold my 510 Datsun. So here at 16, 
I paid 1200 bucks for a Datsun 510, a two-door, and turned it into a clone to a car that I'd read about in Motor Trend magazine that Pete Brock had built called the Screaming Yellow Zonker. It was a basically a street version of a 2.5 Trans Am 510 challenge car. And so I replicated that car at a really young age and uh, drove it around for a few years and sold that. So I bought it for 1200 bucks. I sold it for eight grand, which was... <laughs> <laughs> it kind of woke my eyes up to wow you can actually if it's a, if you do it well <laughs> you can yes. do the leapfrogging thing you know which i've kind of done my entire life when it comes to cars and bikes so i sold that car and bought an irish green 911s and uh that really introduced me to the to the world of porsche um and i just being six foot five i've always loved those cars i've never had the seat all the way back the germans have something about ergonomics that they've got figured out really really well so i um uh, I've got a 2015 911 that's my daily driver, um, you know, manual gearbox, no sunroof, um, modeled after a car. My last consignment when I was running Christie's was the Steve McQueen Lusso, which was that crazy metallic brown, which you just think would not work <laughs> on a Ferrari, right? I fell in love with the color, though. I really did. So that's the color of my 911, which is a little unusual. Most of them are silver. But uh, that's a daily driver. I've um, I never had a fast car in high school. Again, I was limping around on a Honda CL90 and then a Datsun 510. So I was never a guy with a cool car in high school, but I always admired the guys that had the Z28s and the Mustangs and all the rest of it. So I do have a 72 Z28, which uh, Camaro, which is really, it's just a whimsical car. Those things just make you smile. You know, they really do. Uh, silver with white interior, <laughs> white stripes, completely <laughs> stock, except I, I did put Hotchkiss Springs. I lowered a little bit. Those cars sit a little high. That's what the, that was the look in the 70s. You know, they sat a little high. But uh, I later learned I didn't know this at the time. I just I bought the car because I, I liked and I've had it forever, but I just kind of like the looks of it. But uh, um, that is another thing about that styling, the Gen 2 Camaros. I, I really like the 69Zs, but to me, $150,000, $175,000 for a Camaro, that's, I, I don't, I don't, that doesn't resonate with me. So it seemed like the Gen 2s were, were a better value. Um, but when you look at the car, there's a lot of European styling. I think Bill Mitchell, that was his, that was kind of his push to his design teams. You know, he was very inspired by Daytona's and a lot of Pininfarina work. And when you look at that car, you can kind of squint and use your imagination and you can kind of see what's going on in terms of the European influence. Um, but they also only made 2,300 of them. There was a UAW strike in 72, so they didn't make a lot of them, uh, which is kind of fun. But I've also got a 72 Datsun 240Z, which is the car I always wanted. When I was 16, I wanted a Z, but it could only afford a 510. Um, but you know, when you put the Z28 and the 240Z together, there's a tail of two Zs there that is really remarkable because they they have very similar lines. And it's it's interesting. So clearly, the Japanese were inspired by the Pininfarina designs as well. Long hood, sloped rear window, um, you know, pronounced three-quarter haunch on both. It, it's really fascinating. So two fun cars that are just kind of a hoot. Uh, I've got a little 280 SL. That's actually my wife's car, a little four-speed 70. Um, she loves that thing. And then a lot of old motorcycles. <laughs> yeah, how many of those do you have, Gordon? Um, I guess I might be down to about 20 now. I did sell a few last <laughs> year. So, uh, um, you know, everything from Vincent Black Shadows to Norton Manx's Triumphs, everything under the sun. I love riding motorcycles. I really do. I ride every week. Uh, I'm a fair weather rider. I don't mind getting caught in bad weather, but uh, I I won't set out in it. But I enjoy riding. I, I always have. It's really fun. What does success look like for you when we get to the uh, the end of car week? Um, no real bad landmines. Um, you know, it's all about preparation. You know, there's always going to be surprises. You have no idea what they're going to be. Uh, I kind of live in that that mindset of of plan B. You know, uh, you spend the entire year planning things as best you can, and it's inevitable that something comes up that didn't quite work out right. It usually comes down to, you know, someone or some company didn't quite do exactly what they were supposed to, and you have to figure out how to how to fix that. Um, as far as success, it's uh, it's it's really neat when come Monday, you can hear people talking about how much fun they had at Car Week. Um, you know, that's really satisfying. And that that involves people that experienced a lot of different events during the week. You know, it's again, it's heartwarming being local. 
and having a hand in this. Um, for me, the ultimate success comes kind of around this time or maybe even earlier in the year when I run into people elsewhere that talk about various things that happened to them when they were at Car Week in August. You sure. know, I get that recap of, you know, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I ran into so-and-so at the quail and we've ended up, we're building a house together now or you know, we're some great. <laughs> Again, it's kind of that one degree of separation. The stories are just remarkable to me and I love them. I, I love Matchmaking them. of the stories. Well, and, and I would give you one more uh, that if on Monday that you could, if, if those could talk about the spirit of the quail, wouldn't that be appropriate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And there is a spirit there. You know, there really is. It's uh, our chairman, Sir Michael Kaduri, is is one of the most passionate car enthusiasts I've ever known in my life. He's an incredible man. His entire family, the entire leadership team at Peninsula Hotels, you know, it's the only it's the only hotel business of its kind where every hotel is a five star, which is pretty remarkable. Those are some pretty high standards. And it's amazing that that show is considered a peninsula hotel event that says a lot it's, it's very remarkable team that puts it together yeah they're well, you 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 and the team there are the keeper of the flame we appreciate it we are so happy to see the 19th version of <laughs> the quail along with a host of other events at car week take place gordon thank you so much for sharing your story here on the program today and best of luck as you set off into what is another historic month in the Monterey. Uh, peninsula for you. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your interest. It's really great to talk with you again. It's been a while. Need to it's been a while. Up. I will see you soon. Looking forward to it, Jason. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Thanks to auto industry icon Gordon McCall for being my guest today. And to see my interview with Gordon, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Please like and subscribe to see more than 50 episodes. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Thanks for joining us again, and we'll see you down the road. Comedy Central Radio brings you the biggest names in comedy. And Monday through Thursday, listen to The Bonfire. It's The Bonfire, everybody. With Big J Okerson and Dan So It is a cavalcade of fun. Children should not be hearing this, but you should if you're an adult. The Bonfire. Every Monday through Thursday, starting at 6 p.m. East. Yeah, feeling great. Pretty crazy. Exclusively on Comedy Central Radio. Sirius XM 95. Back in full effect. I mean, we're all back full effect. Or listen anytime on the Sirius XM app. Morning, sunshine. I'm Robin Mead. Let's jump right in and get you ready. Morning Express on HLN is the bright way to start your day. Some of the other top stories today that we're following for you. With the latest news that affects you. There may be a breakthrough for a stimulus deal. People are being advised to cancel or postpone outdoor activities. Thank you for letting us be the ones to start your day. Morning Express with Robin Mead. Weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on HLN, Sirius XM 117. Sirius XM Business Radio. 